God does not lie. God does not cheat to accomplish his purposes. Likewise, as his followers, God will never command us to lie or cheat to accomplish his purposes. Instead, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 remind us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. But there are some who would lie and cheat to get to the outcome that they desire. Now, to be clear, this is not a political party problem. This is not a problem with one particular political party. It's a human condition problem. It's a sin problem. However, what happens when they're still not getting what they want? You lie, you cheat, you steal, you do everything that you can to get the results that you want, but it's still not happening. What do you do? Key point number three. When turning up the pressure doesn't work, then the consequences will be turned up. Let's keep going. Verse 13 in chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, that should sound familiar. Boy, he's got a temper problem, doesn't he? It escalates so quickly with him. He gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you shall fall down and worship the image which I've made, good. In other words, he's, he's kind of like, all right, I'm going to give you guys another chance. I like you. I've appointed you guys to be in my cabinet, so to speak, and, and I want you guys to do well, and maybe you just didn't hear the music. So I'm going to give you another chance that as soon as you hear those things, I mean, you're going to do fall down and worship the image, right? And all will be good. And you understand that if you don't, picking up right there, if you do not worship, you'll be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And whose God will deliver you from my hands? And then verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, and you know that ahead of time they were talking to each other. What are we going to say? I don't know. I'm sure that they got together in a little huddle, and they're like, we've got to discuss this. We've got to decide. Why? Because you always make those decisions before you're in the situation. You don't wait till you're in the situation to make the right decision. You have already made this decision. So there's no doubt in my mind that these three have already discussed this. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. Do you see how he has this issue constantly? That's what pride will do. That's what idolatry will do. And when anybody challenges these idols in your life, that's exactly how you respond. You get, you get angry. Why has someone, someone dare challenge the towers in my life? And he's furious over this. 
Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you, you see this? Earlier, it was like, you guys, maybe you just didn't hear the music. You guys, I'm going to give you a second chance. What? You dare challenge me? And his, his countenance changed, right? He spoke and commanded that the heat, that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Now, let's stop. Why do we stop there? And what, what have I said? Anytime, anytime you see clothing mentioned in Scripture, what should we immediately do? Think of atonement, right? Anytime you see, anytime you see clothing mentioned in Scripture, it's a picture of atonement. Do you think, you know, it, it's not like Daniel was writing this, and here comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Amendigo. They are wearing Versace, and, you know, the, no, this is not walking some line. And his turban was made by, you know, Nothing like that. He is letting us know what, that they were wearing these things because there's significance here. Their atonement is not going to be harmed. Their covering is not going to be harmed. Why? Because their covering is not in the, in the hopes of men. Verse 22, Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, the guys who were taking them to the fire, it was so hot, they couldn't even get close enough without it killing them. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So, what is happening here? Well, I'll tell you, it's something else that we see in our culture today, and we think that it's new, and it's not. It's got a new fancy name. It's called cancel culture, right? You don't, you don't bow down to these idols. You know what we're going to do to you? We're going to turn up the pressure. And when the pressure doesn't work, what do we do? We turn up the heat. We turn up the heat. In other words, we're going to cancel you. Cancel culture is nothing new. It's exactly what we're seeing right here. You don't bow down to our idols. You don't, you don't succumb to these. You don't do what we're telling you to do. We will eliminate you. But what's the problem with cancel culture? I'll tell you what it is. As Christians, our faith centers on grace and mercy. Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve while mercy is not receiving something that you do deserve. This is unique to the Christian faith because we trust that any justice is ultimately in the hands of God. And when we embrace cancel culture, we are behaving no differently than King Nebuchadnezzar. When we embrace those types of mentalities, that type of ideology, when we embrace those, those types of behaviors, we are bowing down to the idols of a King Nebuchadnezzar who sought to cancel three godly men for simply thinking differently. When you refuse to bow down to the idols of this world, 
your actions may result in a multitude of people hearing about the Most High God. I mean, think about that. When you say, I'm not going to bow down to these idols, I'm not going to bow down to your idol, I'm not even going to build idols in my own life, when we refuse to do that, the end result can be people might actually hear about the one true living God. Picking up verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, your translation might put it this way. The fourth one is like the, a son of the gods. It's very likely that King Nebuchadnezzar did not have Jesus in mind here. He certainly didn't have the true Son of God in mind. He was just thinking that fourth one looks like he would be God in the flesh right there. I mean, he is, he is acknowledging that th there's something unique about this one. And we, of course, would look at that and we go, yeah, we know who it is. We know who it is. We know that it is, it is a Christophany. It's an appearance of Christ himself in the Old Testament. 20, verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. Hmm. And the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Do you see, see what happens? Do you see the incredible? When we don't give in to cancel culture, when we don't give in to idols, when we don't give in to those things around us, and we say, no, we're going to stand up for God no matter what. We're not going to allow these things into our lives. Ultimately, every satrap, counselor, governor, administrator present heard the king declare, did you see that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did you hear what he did? And the one true living God was proclaimed. They came for a dedication service for King Nebuchadnezzar, and they walked away hearing about the God that was most high. That's, that only happens when people are willing to stand against culture. Same thing happened in Daniel chapter 6. 
Listen to this, verse 24. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Do you hear that? Daniel was in there. The, the lions did not even touch him. Didn't have even, they, the mouths were closed. Then the accusers were thrown into the same den, and they devoured them before they even hit the bottom of the pit. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Isn't that amazing? In both instances, the same result. The king is making a decree. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. And his dominion shall endure to the end. Now let's pause there. Did you, you hear something significant there? This is King Darius. Do you remember in, in, when we looked in the first couple of chapters when we talked about the, the different kingdoms, and then that last kingdom comes along, and it's the last kingdom that will not be destroyed. King Darius has destroyed and enveloped the kingdom of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. But Darius, is they're still talking about it. They're still talking about King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They're still talking about its impact and how it's going to end with a kingdom that doesn't end. And King Darius even acknowledges that. He says, his kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. Darius is acknowledging something that King Nebuchadnezzar did not want to admit. Verse 27, he delivers and, and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, some people will read that. It could, it could be read this way. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, that is, the Cyrus, uh, the, the, reign, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So it could be read in such a way that it's actually repeating itself, Darius the, and Cyrus the Persian. But notice this, that in both instances, the kings, they made a decree that made known the one true living God among the Gentiles. In both instances, God rescued them from certain death. And notice that in both instances, they believed that God would deliver them, but even if he doesn't, they were not going to bow down. So here's the question at hand. Is it what you do that matters or the consequences? Which matters most? Is it what you do that matters or the consequences? For Daniel and his three friends, they resolved in their hearts to do what honors the Lord no matter what the consequences. Christians have a long history of doing what brings honor to the Lord, no matter what consequences may come our direction, no matter what, it may, what, no matter what we may face, no matter how difficult it is. 
And that's why in the book of Acts we see someone like Stephen who resolved in his heart to honor the Lord no matter the consequences. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their lives were spared. In the case of Daniel, his life was spared. In the case of Stephen, Stephen was known as the first Christian martyr who was stoned to death. But he chose to do what was right, no matter what the outcome, no matter what the circumstances are. So we, we conclude with this, do what's right, even if the stars fall. Do what's right, even if there's no one else standing with you. Do what's right, even if it's never known. Do what's right, even if. Because it's in those even if moments that the glory of God is made known to the world that's watching.